Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Intelligent Technologies, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the quote of the day is. I have a buzz quote from a gentleman named Kai, K-A-I, Reimer, R-I-E-M-E-R, perhaps Reimer, you might say, with the Digital Disruption Research Group. He says, disruptors don't set up out to beat you at your own game. They change the rules. All I can say is, aha, Kai Reamer is professor of information technology and organization at the University of Sydney. Increasingly, companies are choosing to disrupt the status quo by using intelligent technologies. Why? They want to create the flexibility, the agility, and the scalability to move their business to the next generation. So what do you call disruption when it has a purpose, when it has a goal, when it has an end point, this flexibility, this agility, this scalability? We call it transformation. You may be used to hearing us talk about digital transformation. We're just talking mainly about the concept, the journey of transformation today. So trends are emerging. As companies establish and implement strategies for modernizing, well, they've got to look at their landscape, their IT, and they're moving to the cloud. They have to get ready to integrate cutting-edge intelligent technologies. You've heard enough about these, but I'll just remind you. Machine learning, artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things. So the question on the table for our listeners around the world is, are you ready? We have three experts. I'm going to introduce them in a moment, but just let me set up so you know who they are. Number one, we have Michael Harding, Senior Director of Portfolio Strategy Management for VirtuStream, welcoming him. We have Sebastian Fopema, CEO of a company called SmartShift Technologies. And we have Udab Gupta, who has been on before, Global VP at SAP and General Manager for the SAP App Center. And welcome to three of you. So first up, Michael Harding, I'm going to let you do most of the talking. Michael has sent us a quote from Jerry Garcia, who is an American singer-songwriter and guitarist, best known as the lead guitarist and vocalist with the band Grateful Dead. Here's the quote. I'm going to let you talk about it, and I'm going to go on mute. Once in a while, you get shown the light in the strangest of places if you look at it right. Michael Harding, welcome, and why don't you tell us how you picked this quote and how it relates to our topic. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, and, you know, Jerry had plenty of really good quotes uh, while he was with us, and, you know, some of those continue to emanate today. I chose this one because it really speaks to how innovation seems to be happening today. We're seeing, you know, basically folks embracing existing inventions and existing innovations, uh, taking more of an unconstrained view um, in, in how we're approaching innovation today. Um, you know, some examples that I, I think of is, you know, who would have thunk that the working out could be such an open, you know, uh, competition as it is right now when you see these online, you know, Peloton bikes and Garmin. Um, who would have thought that, you know, grocery shopping would now be something that you do from your home and literally your groceries are there in, in less than an hour. Um, so what we're seeing is folks taking a lot of the traditional constraints off. Um, there's a yes, there's less yeah, but out there in thinking mm-hmm. about innovation opportunities and more what if. And that's really why I chose that particular quote. Thank you very much, Michael. I'm, I'm so intrigued in the strangest of places if you look at it right. 
implies that companies may not be seeing the big picture. They may not be seeing what we called about this purpose of transformation. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's exactly what's happening is companies have a tendency to kind of get caught in their ways. Uh, and most folks will have a tendency to get caught in their ways and have a, t- have a tendency to perhaps put some blinders on. Um, and so every once in a while, you just need to take a step back, take a couple steps back and think about things differently. The opportunities are today are broader than they've ever been before. You know, the, the kind of common adage nowadays is the world is changing faster than it ever has and it will never change as slow again. Um, and so that's the perspective we all need to imply when we just, you know, feel free to take those few steps back and take some of the constraints off how we traditionally manage our businesses. Thank you, Michael. Great introduction to our topic. I appreciate that very much. And let's go to our second panelist, Sebastian Fopema at SmartShift Technologies. And he has sent us a familiar quote, a wonderful one for this show, from Steve Jobs at the 2007 D5 conference. And for those of you who don't know anything about the conference, Microsoft Chairman Bill Gates and Apple CEO Steve Jobs were together and they did a little bit of verbal battling, and people asked whether there was a misunderstanding in their relationship. And joke, Job said, we've kept our marriage a secret for over a decade now. It was kind of funny. Here's the quote, and I'm going to let Sebastian explain it. Let's go invent tomorrow rather than worrying about what happened yesterday. Sebastian, up to you. Thank you, Bonnie, and thank you for having me. Um, you know, I picked this quote, first of all, because it's Steve Jobs. For me, he's one of my all-time heroes, and I think, you know, many others probably share that with me. Um, I think um, our first real computer in the house when I was a young boy was an Apple, and I uh, grew up admiring Steve and fearing for Apple when he left and cheering when he came back. Um, And uh, this particular quote to me uh, resonates because, well, To put it bluntly, I guess I'm someone that gets bored very quickly. I get bored with the status quo. I get bored with doing the same thing every day. Um, I don't like to get stuck in the past, and I certainly don't like to do the same thing every day in and out. I like to push forward, and um, and, and with that, I like to push my teams with me to try and achieve something new and something better, um, something faster. And... um, you know, I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't look back at times uh, to learn from your mistakes, but I think we should never get comfortable and we should always push ahead. You know, in some ways, if you think about IT, I think we'd probably all be sitting here still programming COBOL on a mainframe. Sebastian, you're talking to an old COBOL programmer. How dare you? But you're probably right. I appreciate that. I was coding COBOL on a Xerox Six Sigma Xerox Sigma Six CP5 back in the late 1970s. Don't ask. Thank you for the explanation of the quote, and I'm going to move on quickly here to Udav Gupta. And Udav has sent us a quote that has questionable attribution. A lot of people think it came from Einstein. I know Udav did, and that's the common perception. But I found out by digging a little deeper on my favorite website, Quote Investigator, that it comes from supposedly a gentleman named Eugene Roudsepp, who was the author of a book in 1977 called Creative Growth Games. And here's the quote. I'm going to say it quickly. Udav, you'll explain it. Creativity is contagious. Pass it on. Go ahead, Udav. Hey, Bonnie. Uh, Well, you know, we are a hell of a creative species by ourselves, right, as humans. And I'm always amazed by the amount of creativity around us. In fact, one of the ways that I boost my own creativity every morning is by looking at other examples of creativity. Right? So it inspires me each morning to take the risk, 
take a leap of faith and do something different, something that's never been done before. And as the day passes on, right, I'm pretty sure that rubs on to my team, my colleagues, my friends, who in turn get inspired to try something different. So when you have enough people, you know, looking at creative angles, um, it becomes a contagious fact that just basically spreads on and more and more people start thinking in a very creative manner. And since companies are just made of number of people, um, the companies basically start looking and start becoming a lot more creative, start investing in a lot more uh, creative spaces. And hence, I think, you know, creative is really contagious and we must really try and pass it on. Okay, I'm back. Thank you very much. I'm struggling with my cough and trying to trying to host this. Udav, thank you very much. Very interesting. I'm going to go around the table. We're going to do it a little differently today. I'm going to start with Michael Harding. I'm going to ask you three questions, Michael, and when you're done, I'm going to have Sebastian chime in, and when he's done, I'm going to have Udav chime in. So the questions are for the three of you. Number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's in your cup today? What's your favorite drink? It doesn't have to be literally in front of you. And my drink right now is ice water and tea and cough drops. And number three, what do you do in your role at your company? So, Michael Harding, I'm going to let you start, and I'm going to go on mute. Thank you, Bonnie. Sounds good. So, I am in the West Coast right now. Um, while I uh, currently reside in Boston, was born and bred in Boston, a uh, little shout-out to the Red Sox. Hopefully they pull off this World Series for any of you uh, Northeasterners. Um, I'm currently in the Silicon Valley area uh, doing some work with some, some partners and some customers. I actually had a rather late flight last night. My drink of choice. Um, you know, there's a couple of reasons for this. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely a beer drinker, and, uh, but I've, got a, I've gotten uh, a little picky over the last probably five to ten years about my choice of beer, and I'm a huge fan of the the growing trend right now of these microbrews, um, and I'm a big fan of the IPAs, the hoppier, the juicier, the hazier, the better, in my opinion. And it's not all about the, the quality, which is, quite frankly, historical um, in terms of the quality of, of beer that's coming out nowadays from these microbreweries. But I'm a fan of the culture. I'm a fan of the trend. What we're seeing here is a level of innovation we haven't necessarily seen in this space, in this industry before. Uh, we're seeing you know, young entrepreneurs really put big bets on themselves. Uh, and doing so with a focus on uh, local uh, products, local ingredients, uh, and, and bringing a level of quality, like I said, that we haven't seen before. And so it's this growing, growing uh, trend that I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, where to me it feels like folks are much more willing to invest in themselves now, perhaps, versus uh, a little less focused on you know, playing the market game. Uh, and this, this trend is something I'm, I'm a big fan of because it does speak to you know, how folks are, are starting to adapt to the fact that technology is here, and we can leverage it to do good things for, for ourselves as well as, you know, quality of life of, of folks like myself who like to drink beer. Um, and what do I do for a living? So I work uh, for a company called VirtuStream. We are a cloud company uh, so focusing on SAP uh, ecosystem and SAP customer base. And I am the uh, product manager and the overall SAP strategist and CTO for, for that company. Sebastian, did you get those three? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Um, so, um, first question, where am I in the world today? I'm about yes. three and a half thousand uh, miles away from home. Where is uh, that? In Munich, Germany. Okay. Um, and uh, I am here to attend uh, an IT fair that is organized by one of our major customers. Um, and I'm also here with some of my colleagues uh, from our office here in Germany. Um 
favorite What's drink. your favorite drink? Yep. Well, I am, I am in Bavaria, in Germany, in the month of October. So, obviously, I'm surrounded by beer and Oktoberfest. Um, and, uh, and although I live in the U.S., not far from Michael, in fact, and uh, indeed, go Red Sox, uh, I actually grew <laughs> up in Europe. Um, I was born in the Netherlands, but grew up uh, close to Brussels in Belgium. And, in fact, 10 miles away from the Stella Artois Brewery, and I know it's probably not the most exciting beer, but I think it's a very fresh beer, uh, a beer you can drink every day. And since it's sort of my backyard beer, that will be my, uh, my drink of choice. And they have some wonderful um, TV ads here, Sebastian, on Stella Artois. I see it all the time. It's a Belgian Pilsner, correct? Yes, that is correct. Yes. Yeah, yes. They've, uh, they've done well um, entering the U.S. market, I believe. Okay, um, and it's got something called Saz, S-A-A-Z, hops, malted barley, maize, yeast, and water. Very interesting, and it is an Anheuser-Busch product. Very, very interesting. Introduced back in 1926, and now tell us what your role is. Um, so what do I do for SmartShift? Well, you know, I'm the CEO, and so being the CEO of a smaller company, I pretty much do whatever it takes, right? I wear many hats and roll up the sleeves, and that's exactly what I like, but... If I think about what we do at the company, and I very much am part of that, um, we fix a problem that is pretty prevalent in the IT industry, which is the over-customization of standard software packages. And in some ways, I often uh, chuckle when I think about the fact that the over-customizing of software is exactly what I did for the first 10 years of my career. Um, so in many ways, you know, I have found a spot in a company where I can help solve a problem that I created myself, you know, mm-hmm. close to three decades ago. Um, and, of course, the customizations in software are problematic because they're costly, and, and they often stand in the way of progress. They stand in the way of software upgrades. They stand in the way of companies changing their systems, adapting their systems uh, to support the changing business. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you, Sebastian. And uh, I'm always intrigued when somebody says they're at Oktoberfest. I imagine everybody dancing around, beer flowing freely, skirts up, and 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 colorful banners and flags, and everybody smiling, just like in the commercials. Is that true? Um, depends where you are, but yes, it can be. <laughs> can be. And when I said skirts up, I meant flying in the wind. I, I didn't mean anything else. Thank you, Sebastian. Udav, you're up next. Let's talk to you. Where are you today? What's your favorite drink? It's been such a long time since you've been with me on a Game Changer show. And what's your role now at SAP? Udav Gupta, go ahead. So, Bonnie, I'm currently in, in Palo Alto, also known as the heart of the Silicon Valley. And you know, an interesting fact, Bonnie, when I got to Palo Alto for the first time, I was very curious on what it actually meant, right? And so I did some research, and Palo Alto actually means a really tall tree in Spanish. Really? And uh, the city of Palo Alto was actually named after a coastal redwood tree uh, called El Palo Alto. That's how it got its name, identified in 1979. Yes. And it was said to be the first living landmark on a California map, which was very interesting. So this place has been making history um, In addition to just being the heart of the Silicon Valley and the home to Stanford, it's been making history even in our uh, our mapping world. Uh, From a drink that I'm having right now, I'm actually sipping a really freshly brewed Phil's coffee. 
Again, something mm. that's very local to the Bay Area. A lot of people here are big fans of Phil's. Uh, so I'm having a creamy, sweet, freshly brewed Phil's coffee. Filtered Soul is the flavor of the day today. And that is a combination of hazelnut and chocolate. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I'll be right over. Please. You're always welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And, and what's your role? What are you up to these days? Yeah, so I'm the general manager for the App Center. Um, essentially, what we at SAP strongly believe is our ecosystem is a force multiplier to our very own innovations, right? And it's, a, it's I had a division called the App Center that allows our customers to discover, try, and buy these innovations from our ecosystem in a very simple digital fashion. So that's my day job. I continue, I I lead and inspire our App Center team. Thank you very much. Very interesting, all three of you. Apologize I couldn't be more active in that part of the show, but I think I have my voice back now, and thank you very much. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. It's a beautiful day. We have experienced an extreme temperature change. It was in the 80s and 90s about two weeks ago, and now we wake up to 38-degree temperatures. So all the plants have been taken in from the porch, and I don't have enough places with sunshine in my house to put them. So that that has been the challenge. But, of course, I'm having my usual cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug. Udav probably remembers that. They don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days and we know why. So we're going to take a quick break. If you're just tuning in, this is one of our newer series, Changing the Game with Intelligent Technologies Radio. And that's all the buzz. Intelligent Technologies. You know we're talking about machine learning and artificial intelligence and Internet of Things, deep learning. It's not all new. A lot of it's been around for years, but it's just coming into the fore. It's coming into a collection of tech called smart technologies, intelligent technologies that companies are using to disrupt with a goal. How can they survive? How can they thrive? How can they beat the newcomers in their industry coming into their part of the business world who may be trying to knock them off their perch if they're a a well-established organization, a well-established, I call them the behemoth enterprises, or if they're a young company, how can they get through that gate running, hit that ground with intelligent technologies powering them? It's a big question. And today we're talking about our topic specifically is disrupting with purpose through intelligent technologies. Sometimes we talk about purpose in terms of sustainability. We talk about it in terms of social engagement around the world. But today we're talking specifically about how can companies run better, more agile, with more of a goal of surviving? How can they fit these new technologies into their IT landscape, empower their people, have that mission and goal going forward, and succeed? That's what it's all about. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Not exactly sounding like myself, but I'm here And we're speaking with three experts on the topic today. Michael Harding, Senior Director of Portfolio Strategy and Management for VirtueStream. Welcoming again, Michael. Sebastian Fopema, CEO of Smart Shift Technologies. Smart is lowercase and shift is in the same word with a capital S. And Udav Gupta at SAP, General Manager for the SAP App Center, where you may want to go and check it out. Shout out to the sponsor of this series, Pamela Dunn, who is listening. And Pam, I think we're going to be able to do this show just fine. So we're going to take a quick break. The pause that refreshes. I don't know about beer for you uh, panelists, but whatever you want to sip is fine with me. So we're going to think about not even, to our listeners, don't even think of changing that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back 90 seconds. It's a quick break. And then we're going to do a deep dive into our panel discussion for real, in earnest, as my late wonderful mother used to say. And Michael Harding at VirtueStream is going to start us off. So, Aaron out. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The digital world is moving faster than ever. The future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated, ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, including more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and demand for innovation to help the world run better and improve people's lives. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how moving to the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Changing the game with intelligent technologies is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Changing the Game with Intelligent Technologies, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Changing the Game with Intelligent Technologies. Welcome back. Our topic today is disrupting with purpose through intelligent technologies. And I think we can insert the word smart in there if that's what you're doing with your company with the eye on the future. You are smart. And let's talk about who's on the panel today. Michael Harding at VirtuStream. We have Sebastian Fopema at SmartShift Technologies and Udav Gupta at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie, trying my best to be Bonnie. So let's start the roundtable. I'm going to kick it off with some statements that Michael Harding sent me. Michael, I'll read a little bit, and then I'm going to go on mute and let you chat about it. Then we will invite Sebastian to come in and talk about what you said, and then we'll get Udav in, and then we'll have Michael respond to them. Remember, gentlemen, you do not have to agree with everything each other says. So that's where we are. Michael says, multi-cloud. And everybody, that may be a new term for you because it is for me. Multi-cloud is a clear reality of the next era in cloud computing. According to IDC, over 90% of enterprises will use multiple cloud services and platforms by 2020. And that's not that far away. Michael, why don't you explain to us what this all means? Take about two minutes, and then I will chime in and invite Sebastian to comment and then Udav. So go ahead, Michael. Sounds great. Thanks, Bonnie. So while the trend of cloud adoption um, is certainly higher than than it's ever been, uh, the notion of kind of uh, enterprises going all in on a single cloud uh, is something of the something that you know not really a reality today. What we're seeing is that enterprise customers are adopting multiple clouds, whether it's scenarios where they're driving SaaS solutions um, or they're adopting clouds for their own infra- uh, workload and to simplify infrastructure. They're putting it across uh, multiple cloud constructs, ultimately for one reason, and that's what's the best tool for the job. Some hyperscale clouds, for example, are better off for you know cloud-native, born-in-the-cloud type applications, whereas private clouds um, and or even private clouds on-prem or private clouds off-prem um, are better suited for more mission critical, um, you know, higher kind of monolithic, um, what I call big hairy monolith type workloads. And so customers are, are really focusing on what's the best tool for the job. And this is the trend that, that we're seeing today. Um, ultimately, it, it drives not only a level of cost efficiencies for these customers, but um, uh, efficiency in how they actually develop 
their software assets, maintain their software assets, and, and deliver the best set of capabilities. And, and then, of course, on top of that, the next level of innovation for their own internal and external customer base. Thank you, Michael. Sebastian Fopem, I'd love to get your thoughts on what Michael just shared. Please join us. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Michael. I mean, for me, it's always about using the right tool for the job, right? If you, mm-hmm. you know, if you need a hammer, you need a hammer. If you need a saw, you need a saw. And, you know, the different cloud offerings and cloud providers offer different solutions that are the right solution for certain jobs. Um, and, uh, and I think that's what Michael touched on. I, uh, similar to Michael, we are also seeing customers going beyond just one cloud platform. Now, I think mm-hmm. it's still very early days. I think that most customers have started with, you know, some of their systems in the cloud and have probably started with one uh, cloud provider. Um, but uh, for the, you know, from, from a standpoint of uh, using the right tool for the job, considering what the system is, the data that is stored in that system and the sensitivity of that data we're seeing customers choose multiple solutions. And also, I think that helps them on the negotiation front. You know, if you commit to one single cloud provider, you don't have much leverage in negotiating a good contract. Um, so we're seeing customers do it both for technical reasons as well as, you know, commercial and negotiation reasons. Interesting. I hadn't heard that perspective before. It makes me think, Sebastian, of the old song, Love the One You're With, um, in terms of, well, you know, if I'm not happy with you, I'll go find another cloud provider. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is, is it really uh, down to that level where they're saying we want the best deal because we're spread out over multiple clouds? Well, I, I think it doesn't hurt. I mean, I, okay. uh, one of our larger customers is indeed thinking about doing this to give them some leverage. Yes. Interesting. We, we don't often talk about that on Game Changers Radio, the, the concept of, of buying services, because we don't sell anything on the show. But that's a very interesting perspective. Thank you very much. Udav, love to have you join us. Agree or disagree with the others? No, I completely agree with both Sebastian and Mike. In fact, you know, um, Bonnie, we're at such a great juncture of the transformation to the cloud mm-hmm. where the entire industry is basically shifting one solution at a time or one product at a time to the cloud. And this has created a great opportunity for all of the multi-cloud vendors to actually take a look at what their areas of specialization is and create really large cloud farms that mm-hmm. basically support that particular area. So you basically look at certain cloud providers focusing on running SAP workloads because they've done historically, they've done that for a number of years extremely well, right? And then you'll have certain other cloud providers looking at running for developers and supporting more startups and more start supporting more of the native building of application kind of work. And then you have certain other clouds that are basically looking at focusing on cutting edge technology like machine learning and AI and those kind of things. And then you have some other clouds that are basically looking at focusing on doing high compute scenarios. So even in the cloud industry, you're seeing each of the cloud vendors actually starting to pick and choose an area of expertise. And that's very interesting. And I think that is also driving the culture of multi-cloud with enterprises. Mm -hmm. Because now, because all of this is available in the public domain, in the public space, it's very easy for a company to basically start building stuff on one cloud. Um, Let's say, you know, to start the SAP workload on a particular cloud. And they're basically using AI from a different cloud and they're using social capabilities from a different cloud. Connecting them together, building a multi-cloud solution, everybody's making it super easy to do that. And the benefits of doing that is tremendous. 
So I think what we're going to see for the next couple of years definitely is a multi-cloud landscape with all of the customers, whether they're small or large. Thank you very much. I'm going to circle back to Michael Harding. Michael, any thoughts on what your co-panelists just shared? Yeah, I, I love it. Uh, Sebastian brought a great point about the, mm-hmm. the leverage that this now enables. Yeah. And, and then Udav also had a great point. I, I think what we're seeing... What we're seeing, or, or the goal here, right? What's the holy grail of cloud native um, applications? It's true portability. It's the ability to run these applications on any cloud, in any construct, in any region, um, with with much more uh, flexibility. And that truly is what these enterprises uh, and IT leaders are after now: is that level of portability, and that kind of serves as the foundation for multi-cloud enablement, where they can drive um, the best efficiencies and the best cost models, and the best leverage against um, these vendors. And this is, I think, where the opportunity is right now, whereas three or four years ago, it was all these cloud companies emerging and kind of going after enterprises' entire workloads. Um, now there is this notion of best tool for the job. There is this notion of um, where, where, which clouds uh, w- would make sense for certain customers, and therefore we're giving the customers more flexibility. And that truly is the opportunity ahead, and I think that's what we're seeing a lot of investment now in the cloud industry, both with uh, software providers and software vendors as well as cloud companies themselves. Thank you, Michael. I'm going to move on to another topic. Sebastian Fopema, I'm looking at your notes here, and there's something very interesting to me. Let's take a look back in time. I think we call it legacy. Some of us who were in the coding business years ago call it spaghetti, spaghetti code. You said to me before the show, many large enterprise IT systems have been in place for over 15 years maybe longer, and typically contain millions of lines of custom code, which were produced by hundreds of developers over time, onshore, offshore, employees, vendors, consultants, contractors, and others. Most of the developers have left, and documentation is usually incomplete or non-existent. So what happens with all of this legacy code? Does it it get thrown out? Do the intelligent technologies just swoop in and make it all better or wipe it out or replace it? Let's let's take a look over our shoulder a little bit backward look, Sebastian. I love this in your notes here because it's looking at the current, at the situation, at the landscape, if you will, in terms of the companies that want to move forward and do the transformation. Where do they go from there? Sebastian, talk please. Yeah, the, the, thank you. The reality, I think, is that most companies don't have the time or the capacity on their IT teams or, or maybe the budgets to actually do anything about these customizations. You know, um, they are, as you uh, correctly explained, the typically the results of, you know, decades of work across many different developers. And, and they were probably developed for a good reason. Um, some of that code, um, you know, had a purpose. You know, it, it implemented certain functionality. It supported certain business processes that were, you know, in place. Um, but unfortunately, um, the spaghetti, as you, uh, mm-hmm. you know, called it, and I often call it that as well, the spaghetti under okay. the hood is scary mm-hmm. because, um, because these people have come and gone and because the documentation is usually non-existent or maybe incomplete, you don't really know what you're up against. And so when you are considering, you know, a modernization or an upgrade of, you know, one of your large IT systems, one of the things you might worry about is, well, what about all these customizations? Do we still need them? Will they work properly after we upgrade or will it break the system? And the truth is that um, almost always they will break the upgrade unless you do something about it. And um, a large portion of those customizations are often 
uh, no longer in use, or sometimes I say obsolete. You know, maybe they were, you know, they had a purpose at some point in time, but uh, they have become, let's call it, dead code. You know, they are, you know, lines of custom code that are living in these systems for no reason other than nobody's taking the time to take them out. And that creates a ton of waste. Uh, it uh, requires valuable IT resources to spend time looking at that dead code when they maintain their production systems. Uh, it requires IT organizations to upgrade those custom uh, lines of code to comply with whatever the next version of the software requires. Um, so the reality is that there is a ton of that in there, and there's really only one way uh, to solve this problem, because the spaghetti is so large we're typically mm-hmm. talking about millions and millions of lines of custom yes. code. Yep. But the only way to really address that is to use automation. To Thank you very much. Yeah, I was going to go ahead. Code and, yep. uh, and, to, and to remediate and dis, uh, decommission the unused code and remediate the custom code you still need to allow you to modernize the system. Interesting. Is this something that machine learning can help with? I'm, I'm just curious. Udav, I know you're waiting to speak, but Sebastian, is this something that machine learning can help with, cleaning up old code or finding the lines that can be retained or replacing the language? A- any uh, quick thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I believe so. So as a company, SmartShift is indeed looking at machine learning as a way to accelerate and expand our automation capabilities. Um, but at the core, what you need is uh, an automation engine that is able to analyze custom code, understand that code, and find the problems, and then fix the problems, like a human developer would. So, you know, the basic function of the automation is basically rewriting code or, you know, removing code. Mm-hmm. And indeed, machine learning could help you build larger rule sets to become, you know, uh, more capable as you think Thank. about different programming languages yeah. and different IT systems, etc. Yes, you and I both were thinking about COBOL a while ago. Yes, that's how I made my living back in the day. <laughs> Let's, oh, I'm so fond of COBOL. I still have some green bar paper with the code uh, the, from the printouts. Uh, seriously, yes, I kept it in my COBOL handbook. What can I say? Udav Gupta, join us. What do you think about what Sebastian just shared? You know, I was just I was just smiling. I was just thinking about the code that Mike provided, right? Once in a while, you get shown the light in the strangest places if you look at right. And I'm like, well, as you guys are talking about spaghetti code and the opportunity that cloud actually provides us and machine learning provides us, the code actually fits rightly, rightly in there, right? So you would never mm-hmm. touch the spaghetti code. You would never think of refactoring a code. Uh, if the technology wasn't available, right? And many of the things that was written in that spaghetti code or in that time when the code was built was based on the technology that's available then. But now the technology's changed and the concept of microservices, serverless architecture, and all these things have become the heartbeat of the cloud. Uh, it is time to basically, you know, look at the strangest places in your software, look at the strangest places in your code to figure out what's basically ready to be refactored. And then using tools, less like how Sebastian mentioned, using machine learning to basically get you in the light at that particular point of saying, okay, these are things that, you know, are underperforming. These are things that are, need refactoring. And the technology is available, the tools are available today. So couldn't agree more with Sebastian that now is the time for people to actually go ahead, look at refactoring and writing, rewriting their existing applications to take advantage of the technology 
be it cloud, be it machine learning, be it AI. Thank you very much. Michael Harding, please join us. What do you think? Oh, I love the follow-up there, Udav. Way to bring, way to bring the, uh, the quote mm-hmm. <laughs> back. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, so <laughs> I, too, uh, have a COBOL history. I, uh, I'm a, a <laughs> little younger, perhaps, but uh, I did spend a year in the Y2K craze, um, a miserable, okay. miserable year, quote, uh, yes, quoting COBOL, before I discovered the SAP uh, market in the SAP technology space and have been in the SAP technology space ever since. Um, and unlike Sebastian, who <laughs> has spent plenty of time uh, creating that custom code before he started to develop tools to fix it, um, I've always kind of been that uh, the architect who's been super focused on in trying to minimize it and you know, trying to enforce a level of discipline within organizations, whether I was a consultant or a full-time employee, et cetera, um, that would allow us to maintain those customizations in, in an efficient manner. And the fact of the matter is it's, it's nearly impossible. Uh, it's, a, it's a complete pipe dream. Um, what happens is business pressures come in, business processes change um, with little investment to support the IT ecosystem. Sometimes the quickest way to fix it is to get some creative coders in there, uh, and they'll go ahead and slam it in. And then once, once it's there, you know, mm-hmm. if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. Um, yep. So that's the general trend we've tended to see in, in, in the market. And so um, it is very much a costly um, scenario now for many customers. Uh, and we're looking at a, a time, I guess, when customers are pre- presented with options. You know, some customers are looking at complete greenfield-type deployments of new software um, software packages. However, that comes at a very significant cost, as Sebastian alluded to previously. So tools um, such as AI and ML to help really kind of analyze where the code can be best refactored is mm-hmm. uh, a perfect example of how we can you know, start to embrace this notion of um, code portability uh, and truly adopt that multi-cloud strategy. Thank you. That's tying it all together very nicely. Sebastian, I'll give you just a minute to wrap this part of the conversation up. We had a lot of good input here, and those of us who like spaghetti or used to make our living with spaghetti, and we had COBOL dropped a couple of times. It was more than one year that I did it, Michael. It was it was way, way back in the day, and it was a couple of years, but I loved COBOL. I could code, hand code on paper, 2,000 lines over a weekend. Key punch it. I know I just dated myself. Key punch it Monday morning at work. And have it up and running by noon. It was just like sitting down to a good bowl of spaghetti with great sauce. It was reliable. It was was reliable. It was easy. You could do top down. You could figure out where all the branches were. It was so English-like. You could actually read it back and understand what you did. I I really enjoyed it. But that's those those days are gone. Sebastian, you want to wrap this one up because I have a statement here from Udov. I want to introduce in a moment. Go ahead, Sebastian. Absolutely. I'm sitting here smiling, listening to you and the spaghetti and the cobo. But um, <laughs> no, I thought there was some great points. Udov mentioning the microservices and, and Mike mentioning the pipe dream. I think that there is a lot of aspiration in uh, today's IT market to kind mm-hmm. of, you know, get rid of these customizations and go back to, you know, the out-of-the-box functionality or the vanilla system, if you will. And, and I, and, but in reality, I think a lot of companies realize that even if you could ignore the 10, 20, 30 years of you know, programming that's been done in your system, and even if you could throw it out and start over, um, there is going to be a need to build certain custom functions to support your organization. Um, and, and so I think that the future 
is all about taking the spaghetti and hopefully it's a bit more organized and a bit more a bit, and, and better documented, but turning that into components outside of the core systems. So the problem with the spaghetti is that it is intertwined and inside these large monolithic enterprise systems. Mm -hmm. And where we need to get to and what we're starting to do with automation and machine learning is taking that out of the core systems, modernizing it, getting rid of the stuff you don't need, and then turning it into microservices, which you can run anywhere. You can run them in any cloud you want or any server you want. Um, That's where we need to go. Thank you very much. Good conversation. And now, Udav, I've found something in your notes here. Actually, it's the first statement you send me. Just so our audience knows, my panelists send me a package of brief deliverables so I know what's on their mind about the topic. And that's how I focus the roundtable. I pick a couple from each one or one from each one, and that's what we use as the basis to go around the table in case anybody's wondering the basis for the structure of the show. Udav, you said something very, um, very Generic, but very important to our topic today. You say the only constant in the tech industry is change. And here's what I want you to talk about. These days, technology changes a generation every five years. There was no catching up if you are late. It's an exciting time in the tech industry, yes, but every five years. Seriously, Udav, what's this based on? Please tell us a little more. Yeah, absolutely, Bonnie. If you look at where we are right now in the whole technology wave, right? Uh, it's a very exciting time for the industry uh, where everything is being transformed, whether it's you talk about the social media of how people would actually communicate with each other or the mobile, like how the mobile has actually taken up a big time or cloud, big data. We talk about communities. We talk about powerful technologies. All of these are basically helping you unlock incredible amount of opportunities. Right, whether these are about connecting people together in a new way, connecting applications in a new way, transforming the way people work, the way people are living. You're seeing that happen all throughout the process. Everybody is a lot more connected. Everybody is a lot more, uh, all enterprises are a lot more connected. Mm-hmm. And when you start thinking about that, right, more people are starting to use social network. If you think about a world where social network was more about people connecting and sharing ideas, the social network has become the way that enterprises communicate to consumers. If you think about mobile applications, mobile used to be used to have very good communication, voice communication predominantly between two individuals or between two organizations. And today mobile has become the way that you actually go ahead, you pay for for your drinks at a Starbucks or a Fells Coffee, right? Uh, everything is literally changing. Banking is being done on mobile. All of these things are changing dynamically. And if you think about all of these things, bringing all to a single place, to a single device, to a single cloud, to a single setup is what the industry is moving towards. And this is a big technology change. Previously, you'd have like three-tier architectures. You basically have three different devices to do things. You'd have three different uh, uh, ways that you would actually approach a particular problem. And now you've actually consolidated that neatly into one smart device. And smart has become the new sexy. Whether it is the smart hmm. speakers, smart watches, smart homes, smart cars. Mm-hmm. You know, you take anything. Everything is basically now getting compute, not only just to operate the device, but it's actually starting to get compute intelligence, AI, to basically help you reduce the workload that you have to do and put more of the workload on the underlying device and the underlying cloud to do the stuff for you. 
And that is a big change. That's a big technology transformation that's happening right now. And I'm pretty sure five years from now, we will basically have another wave of technology changes where you may have something that is even more sexy and even more smarter than what we have today. So that's what this uh, statement was completely based on. Thank you, Udav. I can hear listeners saying, some of them saying, oh, no, and others saying, yes. You mean we can move on to something even smarter and sexier in five years? So there's probably some people looking at it from the, the standpoint of what are we investing in terms of time, people, money right now, and will it be outmoded, outdated, or will we just want to go with the next shiny penny in a couple of years? Or will it, in fact, be better? Let's find out what Michael Harding thinks. Michael, do you agree with that concept Uva Udav shared with us about five years, the technology new wave comes in every five years? That's very fast. I do. Um, I think what we're seeing, though, is the, the level by which uh, certain industries, certain verticals, and or certain companies are willing to adopt that change um, is where the challenge is, right? Obviously, we see some move faster than others. We're seeing now the notion of born-in-the-cloud type of mm-hmm. um, software companies and, and, and really services and capabilities. Um, as a, you know, 20 some odd years in the industry, kind of more as uh, on, on the customer side, as an IT leader, as a practitioner, I always have a tendency to, you know, relate these changes to the, the impacts to our IT leaders out there of these major enterprises. And the challenge I'm, I see is the fact, you know, the pressure that they're under. Um, for better or worse, a lot of our IT leaders, our CIOs, et cetera, are being compared with the Amazons, the Ubers, the, the Airbnbs of the world. Um, when they have, you know, obviously a, a different budget profile by which they're intended, they're told to manage their business. Uh, they're pressured not only to not, you know, support the business, but really be the business. We're seeing a trend now where CIOs are becoming CDOs or even CMOs. Um, and so these are the trends that I think um, are very interesting in the marketplace mm-hmm. where, you know, there's a, there's an, uh, as Rudolf was just mentioning around the new technology, with that implies I need to hire new skills. If I'm truly going to adopt, yes. um, you know, these notion of, DevOps at scale um, and cloud native first, uh, that requires a different developer than I've traditionally been used to that, quite frankly, guys, hate to say it, are not your COBOL and or your ABOP developers. They're, you know, fresh, kind of, quite frankly, coming out of college, more microservice-based, microservice-first, 12-factor microservice, um, and looking at trends like CICD with automated testing and zero, you know, downtime deployment. These are the trends that all of our IT leaders are, are really under a tremendous amount of pressure to adopt. And again, where we see, I think, the opportunity, um, there's a lot of discussion and talk about how, quite frankly, how awesome it is to be there in this cloud-native space and mm-hmm. all of the opportunities around AA and ML, um, when the reality is a lot of our customers and our, and our true IT leaders out there have a semblance of spaghetti code, have a semblance of monolithic um, applications that are now their systems of record. And I think the journey is what's important, understanding what the best way to start to bite this off in pieces. Sebastian mentioned earlier how we're seeing customers, you know, start to get in on one cloud and then evolve their portfolio from there and evolve their appetite. That's the key. Take it in iteration. Start small. Don't try to eat the elephant um, and focus on quick wins uh, and, and attainable wins and then start to build that culture, which is really what we're talking about here. We're talking complete culture shifts in today's IT organizations. Build that culture. Um, somewhat organically within within their IT ecosystem. Thank you, Michael. I want to make sure we leave just a minute or two. We're almost in our crystal ball predictions round, but Sebastian Fopema at Smart Shift Technologies, love to get your thoughts on this five-year cycle. Agree or disagree with what Udav said and or what Michael Harding added? Sebastian? Well, I partially agree. 
I, ah. I certainly think, like Udov, okay. I certainly think that Udov, as Udov explained, that you know the application of IT and all the different ways that IT supports us in our lives and supports companies out there is, is ever evolving. You know, and mm-hmm. you know, in the consumer world, of course, the uh, the smartphone is probably a great example of that, or your iPad, or whatever. Um, but I think the underlying concepts of IT uh, do evolve. You know, you think about architecture paradigms, and um, um, but the concepts are still, uh, but don't evolve as quickly and as much. Um, meaning that you know, old guys like us uh, <laughs> can still can still function in this IT organization. Maybe we don't develop the latest programming languages. But, you know, um, once you've seen a couple of programming languages, you start to see the similarities. And it is no longer about the semantics or the syntax of the actual programming language. It's about the underlying concepts. Yes. Object orientation or whatnot. So I think that the underlying concepts are a little bit more static. They do evolve. I think the application of IT, especially in the consumer world, is, uh, you know, rapidly expanding. And it's exciting. Right, uh, my daughter, who is uh, just about to turn 16 and is going to be driving soon, asked me two years ago, Dad, do you think I will actually drive or will the cars be driving themselves by the time I'm 16? Yes. Um, you know, now we know yes. the answer. She'll still be driving for a couple of years, but, um, you know, soon enough that may not be the case anymore. And so, uh, and then just a last comment on what Mike said. I think Mike's absolutely right that the reality of where large enterprises are today is that they deal with a lot of legacy systems and they would love to adopt all the new technology and they can sometimes do so on sort of the outskirts of their company where they are interacting with their consumers. But inside of the business, the large operational systems are often large monolithic systems and they are much harder to modernize. So there, the cycle is unfortunately much slower. Thank you very much, Sebastian. We are in our crystal ball predictions round, and we're down to 60 seconds apiece. So, Michael Harding, I hope you're ready. I think we've been doing a lot of predicting throughout the whole show. But officially, 60 seconds, Michael Harding, what do you see coming up or down the pike, up or down the road, out far yonder, wherever you want to predict, 60 seconds, go. I think it comes to, honestly, we can move as fast as we want, um, but we may may not be able to move as fast as we can. And I say that for a reason. The the technology available and the technology that's emerging could have extremely large disruption on major, major industries. Are those major, major industries willing to, um, you know, start to fade, if you will? So think about the notion of everything related to AI and ML comes down to predictive, um, which means the need for reactive goes down. How do I need an insurance company if I know when something's going to break or if I know when something's yes. going to catch on fire and I can get ahead of it and fix it and be more proactive and predictive? Well, that's a multi, multi-billion dollar industry. Um, and when you start to factor that into things like perhaps military, et cetera, I mean, we could get very, very provocative with where trends may head. And it's fundamentally going to come down to how fast can we move versus how fast do we want to move. 
Very interesting point, Michael, and I think people in the insurance industry just shuddered in fear with what you said. But that may yeah, be a, sorry, guys. a that's okay. That may be a topic for another show. Pam Dunn is listening. Pam, that might be a topic for another show. What's going to happen to industries that are long established when all of this disruption happens? All of these intelligent technologies change how we deal with our lives and disrupt industries by virtue of we're doing our lives better. Just a quick thought, Sebastian Fopema. Quick, 60 seconds, and it's a fast 60 seconds. Go. It's all yours. Well, my crystal ball broke a long time ago, Ron, but <laughs> um, I, can tell you, I can tell you what I would like or what I hope for. I hope, let's, let me pick on, on cloud technology for a second. I fast, hope fast, fast. 2025, yes. nobody talks about cloud anymore. I, I hope that, and that isn't because it isn't an important piece of the IT infrastructure that we mm-hmm. rely on. But it is because, in my opinion, the whole point of cloud infrastructure is that we don't have to worry about the hardware anymore. You know, you don't have to worry about your servers, your space. You don't have to worry about where things run. You don't have to worry about disaster recovery. It's taken care of. It's in the cloud. And I don't know who came up with that term back when, but you know, the fuzziness of a cloud is, I guess, appropriate because I don't want to know about the details. I want yes. to focus on the application level. Sebastian, um, so thank I you. I have to cut you off because I, I, I owe Udav 30 seconds for prediction. Udav, make it fast. Just two sentences, please. Yeah, so as any technology grows and becomes mainstream, Bonnie, new dimensions get created, and I think governance and regulations will be the new dimension that comes around the technology, whether it's cloud, whether it's AI. And I don't think that governance and regulation is going to slow down innovation. In fact, it's actually going to give us give it a sense of direction and purpose to technology. And I think now is the time for us to be bold. Now is the time for us to be creative and pass on the contagious creativity and boldness to other people. Very nicely done. You pulled that quote in very smoothly. I want to say thank you to Pamela Dunn and Rasheen Monahan for sponsoring the series. Pam, this was a great panel, a superb panel. Thank you all for uh, keeping the conversation going when I couldn't. I appreciate that. Thank you to Aaron at World Talk Radio, the business channel, for getting us on the air and keeping us on the air. And now here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Who knows what a seatbelt will look like in a couple of years? We're not even driving. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Michael Harding at Virtue Stream, just like Sebastian Fopema at Smart Shift Technologies, and just like Udav Gupta at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Intelligent Technologies, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.